It's earnings galore in the oil services sector on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly, joining you here from beautiful Alexandria, Virginia at Fool Headquarters, and I am joined with the incomparable Tyler Crow. How are Why you today, sir? Why do you do that every single time we do this? Uh, you're going to sound so bright and cheery, and then I'm kind of like the ER, where I'm just like, oh yeah, I'm here too. You need to go through the Sean O'Reilly regiment, which involves, you know, shot of yeah. espresso right before the show. That might help, actually. I'm just... Just putting it out there. You're very cheery and I like you, but, you know, whatever. Anyway, uh, so today we are talking about the latest results from the oil services sector. We got a, a plethora of results this past week. Is it pretty much done now? Uh, like- we've still got a couple that are left to go. I mean, we the, obviously one of the larger ones, National Oil Well Varco, has yet to announce. They announce next week, so I'm sure we'll be talking about that. But in by and large, uh, of the seven... 10 largest companies in the oil and gas services space. Are, Pretty much all of them have all reported in. by now. Okay, so, uh, so we're going to talk about you know the Halliburtons, the Slumberjays, the Baker Hughes. What are some of the things that stood out to you in this report? Because as we all know, eight months ago, oil prices, prices decided to crash about 55-60%. How are these guys doing? Well, uh, to the surprise and delight to a lot of Wall Street, better than abysmal, actually. Uh, well, I'm, that sounds a lot worse than it actually was. In all... They're still here. They're still here. <laughs> they're still alive. They're still doing actually rather well, um, all things considered going on in the and oil is this, space right now. Does that owe itself to the fact that they they do long-term contracts? So it, it, There is a lot to do with that. And that's one of the big things that we saw over these pat, over, over the earnings for these. Let's talk about the big three at first. You know, your Halliburton's, your Schlumberger's, your Baker Hughes. Uh, the big oil services companies kind of do a little bit of everything. What we saw more than anything else over this period was companies with greater exposure to the international markets had a tendency to do a little bit better this period than companies that were a little bit more involved in North America, which makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, If you look at the international markets, uh, anything basically outside of the U.S. and Canada. It's going to be a much slower moving market than when we have here in the United States. You, that's where you have your large uh, offshore development projects. It's where you have your mega LNG development projects, as well as companies in the Nash that are national oil companies. You know, your Saudi Aramco. That was actually like going to be my, my next question to interrupt. Um, are there customers countries? Is that basically what we're talking about here? Basically, yeah. If, okay. you, if you look at somebody like a, a Qatar or a um, <clears throat> or, the, or Saudi Arabia, you know, national oil company, they are going to be paying services to somebody like a Schlumberger, Halliburton, anybody like that. And what we saw is companies with greater exposure to the international markets had a tendency to do a little bit better, like we just said, because those projects take a little bit longer. They're being hired for a little bit uh, on contract for considerably longer. I mean, just as an example. Uh, especially in the Middle East. Uh, we actually saw some revenue and earnings growth at all three of these companies in the Middle East, in large part because of Saudi's these longer projects. And, yeah. you know, anybody that's OPEC is actually trying to pump a little bit more than anywhere else in yeah, the world. What did uh, Saudi Arabia just hit, like 10.3 million yeah, barrels they, last month? Yeah, they went up about 300,000 barrels per day, kind of basically kicking any reduct- potential reductions that we're going to see here in the United States over these things, kind of evening things out, still keeping a little bit flooded, uh, enough to scare enough people away in the United States from uh, bringing on any more production. So with you, with that, you, you saw that, and compared to the United States, you know, 
a new rig or a new well can be drilled in the United States in, in three to 10 days, which makes the kind of the cycle of that much shorter and the ability to, for revenue to, or earnings to decline that much more rapidly because people can shut in that much faster. And we saw that in the earnings for all of these companies. Halliburton saw their income operating income drop 33%. And so much of it was related to its North America operations. You know, in last quarter, 60% of, of Halliburton's operational income came from the international market, uh, came from North America exclusively. So when that dropped off as much as it did, as much as uh, 50%, then that's why we're seeing such a, a larger drop at Halliburton versus at Schlumberger, uh, only 20 to 30% of their operational income on a, on a quarterly basis comes from North America. So their you know, operational uh, dr- dip isn't as great, even though their specific North American market uh, saw as much of a dip as Halliburton. Had um, Halliburton, you know, you're talking about how two-thirds of the revenues come from North America, had they been outperforming Schlumberger uh, over the last five years because of the shale boom and everything? Is this just kind of a chicken's home? It is home slightly roost? related like, to that, yeah. yeah. Halliburton has done rather well because there's been this massive boom in the United States uh, because of shale, but now that it's not looking as attractive as it once did, we're starting to see a little bit more of the pullback there. And f- one of the... Th- things that is actually kind of a concern for me as an investor, if I'm looking at this Baker Hughes-Halliburton merger... Uh, Why the, are they doing that? It, 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 obviously, you get some... Is it a cost-cutting uh, thing? There's a cost-cutting element to it. But one of the biggest concerns for me is the fact that by doing so, that Hallibur- the combined company will be even more tied to the success of what happens in that North America. It seems to be the opposite of what they should be doing. Well... I can definitely see how they could get some advantages. They can get a little bit better pricing power because they'll, you know, basically combining the fewer, two largest competitors, yeah, the two largest competitors in the North American space coming together. That a lot of efficiencies there, where you're going to be able to gain better pricing, a little bit more market share, maybe even push out some other people in the space. So there's that, but at the same time, they're again tying themselves to the wild fluctuation that is the north american market yeah. versus the kind of slower a little bit steadier uh, international market i also have to wonder a lot of the uh, you know ei airports and everything um, they show domestic you know us shale production peaking out at the end of this decade so where's this combined entity going to be in the early 2020s, this long term. Well, the lucky thing is, is that that far away, a lot of companies can make adjustments, make changes, and that's what I'm going to bank on. And these God guys knows have, Wall Street isn't thinking that far. These guys me, have, so. yeah. <laughs> I guess that could be your thought is Wall Street doesn't think that far ahead, anyways. They're only looking at next quarter, next six months, anyways. But all of these companies, they've been around for 70, years. 80, yeah. 100 years. They will adjust. They will make. Uh, whatever is necessary to move on in the market. Uh, maybe some will struggle a little bit more getting away from shale when, you know, maybe 15, 20 years from now when that really starts to decline or peak. Other, otherwise, you know, some will get better in moving into international markets where there's other options. So we've got seven out of the 10 companies that reported. Who's doing the best right now? Um, well, if we look at what the market said, uh, two really big winners that we saw were both Core Labs, which as of the taping we're doing right now, they're up about 7% from reporting last night on their earnings, and FMC Technologies, who reported yesterday and 
on the day that they reported, uh, stock jumped 16%. The, the biggest thing with these two guys, uh, more than anything else, is, again, they all saw a decline in revenue. They all saw a slight decline in earnings. But one of the things that surprised people more than anything else was the fact that it didn't decline as much as they thought. Uh, Core Labs actually produced a record amount of cash flow. Uh, they were able to do so because of some timing, because a uh, little bit less in the capital expenditure route. It helped them... Uh, produce some of the best cash flow that they've ever produced. Uh, FMC Technologies, same thing. Uh, earnings not as great. Cash flow is very strong. And one of the things with FMC Technologies is they are they manufacture subsea uh, equipment, things like blowout preventers, uh, underwater uh, distribution hubs, and things like that for offshore projects. And since they're a manufacturer, they have the ability of having a backlog of projects where they have to they can only build out so much and gives them a little bit more consistency when it comes to revenue. Uh, it's a it's really a big thing when it comes to oil services companies. You want to know the difference between an equipment manufacturer and a service provider because an equipment manufacturer will normally have what is called a backlog. And that backlog will per help them kind of cushion their way through these downturn cycles because they basically say, ah, I've got a whole bunch of projects. We can kind of work through those. The backlog will decline, but at least it keeps revenue steady during the down cycle. And then hopefully by when the time picks back up again, people will start ordering more stuff and that so backlog will increase. two years from now, let's just pretend, you know, this may or may not happen, but if oil prices are still at 55 bucks two years from now, will that backlog get dried up and then these guys will be in trouble? Like, where are we on the danger scale? With so so like let's this? talk about, like, three major equipment manufacturers that we have in the in the space. Uh, you have the, the largest of them all, National Oil Well Varco. You have FMC Technologies. And another one who is a very large uh, offshore contractor is uh, Cameron International. Okay. If you look at these three companies and you look at their backlogs, um, they are they are taking in less orders than that they were producing, but they are still taking in orders. So if you consider the fact that they're still taking in orders while slightly dwindling down their backlog, based on the backlogs they have right now and what's gone on in the past six, six to nine months in terms of how that backlog has reacted, it is very difficult to see any of them uh, really, really struggling to find work over the next couple of years. Uh, with the large expansion that we saw in offshore drilling uh, with these companies, there is just so much backlog of work that they can, for the next couple of years, I don't see them having a huge issue generating revenue. So uh, these all these stocks have still obviously seen a little bit of a pullback because of oil prices. What of these names interest you right now? Well, and what should investors be looking for? Well, considering that Core Labs is the largest position that I personally own, I'm going to say that I'm a personal fan of that one. Uh, and one of the reasons that I like Core Labs and a couple others that we've actually mentioned today is their ability to generate free cash flow and make a return on investment for. Uh, make a return on investment, excuse me. Uh, Core Labs, uh, on a return on invested capital basis, not only is it the best player in the entire oil and gas uh, services, equipment and services space, but it beats the next best competitor by um, uh, almost two times. Because uh, uh, their returns on equity are in like the 50s or something. Yeah, right? the return on investing capital, return on equity is somewhere in the 50% range, which is absolutely absurd. Those that are has, like Buffett type. It has numbers. a lot to yeah. do with uh, some the way that they handle earnings and how much they actually return uh, cash to shareholders rather than returning er retaining earnings, excuse me. But uh, when you consider that, the amount of money that they pour back into share buybacks for customers, as well as paying a, a, 
relatively decent dividend. I mean, it's somewhere in the greater than 2%. So it's good, not great when you look at some other players in the oil and gas space. But if I'm looking at buying my first oil and gas services company, I would look really hard at Core Labs. Very interesting. So yeah, just final takeaway seems to be that these uh, these oil service names aren't getting... It is an Armageddon for these guys. It is not Armageddon. They're going to be okay. Oh, we're in a down cycle, but guess what? They'll be uh, here it, tomorrow. They'll be here tomorrow. Five and years, yeah. when the market turns back up, they're going to be in pretty good shape. Very good. Well, thank you for your thoughts, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. And uh, before we go, I want to make our listeners aware of a special offer to all industry-focused listeners. If you're looking for more foolish stock ideas, Stock Advisor may just be the service for you. It is our flagship newsletter started more than 10 years ago by Motley Fool co-founders Tom and David Gardner. We're offering the lowest price out there for our industry-focused listeners. It is $98 for a two-year subscription to Stock Advisor. You'll get two stock recommendations every single month with insight from our team of analysts. Just go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this deal. Once again, that is focus.fool.com. And as always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear on this program. That's it for us fools. For Tyler Crow, I'm Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and fool on.